Turn with me this morning to the Gospel according to John, uh, chapter 15. Our passage this morning will take us through verse 11, uh, but I will spend a good portion of our time uh, in verse 1. We're going to begin in prayer, uh, then we'll read the passage and then unfold it, driving at the aim of the author uh, and making application of the text uh, for the church and for us as individual Christians. So first, um, let us pray. Father in heaven, your servants come to you here this morning in Jesus Christ. We're asking, Lord, for your kingdom purposes uh, and your will to be done through your church here this morning. We're dependent upon you, God, the Holy Spirit, to illuminate the passage to our minds that we might know and understand what your will is. We ask, Lord, for your grace to inflame our hearts, to understand the depth of your love toward us, and that our hearts would have great love for you. We need you, Lord, to transform our will by your grace that we might be uh, just not only hearers, but also doers of your word as we are moved by your spirit to will and do of your good pleasure. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So before we read the passage this morning, I want to ask us a couple of questions to ponder as we're going to listen to what God's word says here this morning. Who or what is the focal point? What is the locus of the scriptures? This has been said many times that the Bible is God's redemptive plan for mankind. And indeed, it is God's plan for mankind. But at the same time, is the Bible about Adam? Is the Bible about Abraham? Is the Bible about Israel? Is the Bible about the church? The Bible is really the revelation of God's glory, ultimately. The Old Testament is the revelation of God sovereignly and providentially making manifest his promises uh, to the people of his choosing. The New Testament, and specifically the Gospels, is what I want us to get this morning. The New Testament, and specifically the Gospels, and really pointedly the Gospel of John, is a hero story. It is a story about God's hero, about heaven's champion. The Bible's hero is Jesus Christ. And so every word and every white space in the Bible is filled with and pointed to the person of Jesus Christ. And when you and I as individual Christians and the church apprehend that God's plan and His main purpose is about the Son and not you, when you and I get that God's main plan and purpose is about Jesus Christ, His Son, and it's not about you and it's not about me, when we get that it's about His Son, Jesus Christ, then we will begin to live like Christians. So let us, if you are able, please stand for the reading of God's inspired, infallible, inerrant word this morning from the Gospel of John, chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. And every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes that it may be more fruit, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. 
Abide in me and I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you may bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is God's word for us this morning. You may be seated. In love, God has chosen you. In love, God has chosen you. You who have faith in Jesus Christ, but it comes with an expectation. If you are chosen in Jesus Christ, there's an expectation that you would bear the good fruit of your salvation. If it's true that God has chosen you in love and you are loved by God, you will produce good fruit in keeping with that salvation. The Christian life is to produce all that bears the image of the nature, the attributes, and the character of God. As a Christian, your life should produce the fruit of your salvation. It should produce the holiness of God. It should produce the justice of God. It should produce the goodness of God. But most importantly, it should produce the fruit of the Holy Spirit of God. Love, joy, peace, kindness, gentleness, self-control. A lot of trouble that the church has uh, faced today and is facing today is a result of her own failure. A failure to center the church's gatherings, the ministries, the worship on the person of Jesus Christ. In a lot of churches today, we see that the gatherings, the ministries, the worship service are centered on human preferences, centered on human entertainment, according to worldly values. The church has chosen this. God says that Christ is the locus and center of my people, that Christ is the center of my revelation from the Scripture, that it is about Jesus, my Son, and all that He has accomplished. But the church has chosen mankind, entertainment, to be the locus, the center, the focal point of the people of God. Distancing ourselves in that way from the person of Christ, disregarding the holiness of God, and substituting the justice of God with the, with the social justice of today. But before we dive into our text today, I want us to not feel so bad about ourselves except to see that this was the condition of Israel that marked the pre and present earthly ministry of as we have been unfolding the Gospel of John. Uh, I want to look at the condition of Israel that marked them then, marked them presently as we look at this passage. And uh, as we do, so keep a, keep a finger in Isaiah chapter 5. Um, we're going to be through the Old Testament in several places, but chapter 5 we'll focus a lot on this morning. The vine and the vineyard were a prevalent symbol of Israel in the Old Testament. But when we look at this, when we're going to see this, is that when the vineyard uh, portraying Israel, at least Israel or a portion of Israel was far less fruitful than they ought to have been. 
Let's look at Isaiah chapter 5 and the uh, first four verses. Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it. And he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yield, yielded wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of, his, of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and the vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? Jeremiah 2.21 says, Yet I planted you a choice vine, holy, of pure seed. How then have you turned degenerate and become a wild vine? Ezekiel 19.10 says this, Your mother was like a vine in a vineyard. Verse 12 of the same chapter says, But the vine was plucked up in fury, cast down to the ground. The east wind dried up its fruit. They were stripped off and withered. Hosea chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Israel is a luxuriant vine that yields its fruit. But the more his fruit increased, the more altars he built, and his country improved, he improved his, his pillars. Their heart is false. Now they must bear their guilt. You see, each time they built an altar to the Lord, they were exalting in their own fruitfulness and saying that it was my fruit, it was by my will, by my desire, by my effort, right? And God says, their heart is false, and now they must bear their guilt. Isaiah chapter 5, verse 7 says, For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. See, this is plain now. It's getting very plain. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed. For righteousness... But behold, an outcry. As you can see from these passages, Israel failed to produce the fruit of God's righteousness. She failed to give the Lord's justice to his people. Looking also at the Old Testament, uh, Israel's failure to produce good fruit resulted in much judgment against them. In Isaiah 5, it says, And now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge, and it shall be devoured. And I will break down its wall, and it shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed, and briars and thorns shall grow up. I will also command that the clouds, that they rain no rain upon it. Ezekiel 15.8 says, I will make the land desolate, because they have acted faithlessly, declares the Lord. But despite Israel's failure, God promises a day when the vineyard will produce the fruit of righteousness and his justice. Isaiah 27, verses 6 through 9 reads this, In the days to come, Jacob shall take root, Israel shall blossom and put forth shoots and fill the whole world with fruit. Has he struck them as, he, as, as those who struck them down? Or have they been slain as their slayers were slain? Measure by measure, by exile, you contended with them. He removed them with his fierce breath in the day of the east wind. Therefore, by this guilt of Jacob will be atoned for, and this will be the full fruit of the removal of his sin. So all of this brings us to chapter 15, verse 1. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. 
Jesus makes the last of the I am statements here. And here in this passage includes the nature of the relationship between God the Father and God the Son. Jesus says in this passage, the locus of God's covenant with Israel is superseded in the person of Jesus Christ. I am the true vine. And my Father is the vine dresser. I'm the true vine. I am the one to whom Israel has been pointing to. The one who brings forth the good fruit of God's righteousness. The one who brings forth God's justice. Jesus is the true vine, meaning the one perfect, essential, and enduring vine before which all the others that have come before were just but a shadow. All of the covenant promises made to Israel find their yes and their amen in me, Jesus says. I am the true vine. Everything else was but a shadow. And Isaiah says that many shepherds have come and they have destroyed my vineyard. As we have studied the Gospel of John, we see that Jesus says that He is the good shepherd. He is the good shepherd who has come. He is the true vine. He is the true Israel. In Christ Jesus, my people and my covenant is fulfilled, Jesus says. Leading up to this point in John's Gospel, uh, Jesus has said that He supersedes Moses and the law. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Jesus supersedes the temple. He is the place and the object of worship. Jesus says, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. The hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. Jesus is the provision of God. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through the true vine. The only acceptable person is the one who worships the Father in spirit and in truth, and that truth is found only in the person of Jesus Christ. We also saw as we have studied the Gospels that the, the, uh, the festivals where Israel celebrated the provision of God, celebrated the, the water that would nourish them and celebrated the light, that Jesus would say, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You see, the focal point of God's covenantal promises is not ethnic Israel, but on true Israel on the one true vine. The covenant of God is superseded in the person of Jesus Christ. As the vine dresser, the covenant God has fulfilled all of His promises to Israel in the person of Jesus Christ, the true Israel. The new covenant is really between the vine dresser and the vine, between God the Father and God the Son. And then that includes all who have put their trust in the Son. All of those who have been incorporated into the Son, the promises of God find their yes and their amen in Jesus and is incorporated into the people of God who believe Jesus by faith. Jesus, the true Israel, fulfilled the covenant promises of God. Ethnic Israel broke and trampled upon the covenant time and time again. Did you not see as we looked through Isaiah time and time again? These are my covenant people. This is a choice vineyard. These, I, I made them beautiful. I, I protected them. I, I, I was, I was a hedge around them. I had, I hewn them in on all sides and I protected them. And I had an expectation that they would produce good fruit, fruit consistent with the character of God himself. 
And time and time again, they failed. And then Jesus comes, the true vine. And all of those promises of God were fulfilled in Jesus. The covenant promises of God were fulfilled in true Israel, in Jesus. For the Jew first, but also for the Greek. You see, there's no more distinction. There's no ethnicity in the kingdom of God. No real ethnicity. There's no ethnic group of people that get a special blessing from God or a separate blessing from God. As we, as we think about Galatians 3, 28 and 29, it says that there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. True Israel is Jesus Christ. So do we got that, right? I think I said that a few times. True Israel is Jesus Christ. And all those who are incorporated in him. True Israel is Jesus Christ and those whom the Father has drawn to and given to Jesus. It's a gift, you see. The, the, the covenant promises, they find their yes and their amen in Jesus. And then what is, then is your purpose? Your purpose is a gift to the Son for his obedience. All the people of God who are in Jesus are a gift to Christ. For his obedience. Because he is the true Israel. He is the true vine. He is the one. So you might be asking yourself, Jeff, are you saying that you believe a replacement theology where the church replaces Israel? What I'm saying is this. I believe that Jesus Christ is the true Israel and all who are in him. So you can contemplate that if you want. And am I saying that I believe in a replacement theology where the, the church replaces Israel? I'm saying that ethnicity is not what it's about. I'm saying that Jesus Christ is the true Israel and that all who put their faith and trust in him are incorporated into the true Israel. The God, the Israel of God, the Israel of God is Jesus Christ. So, as a point of application, if we take this and you study Old Testament prophets and you study the book of Revelation and you read the promises and prophecies according to the truth that Jesus is the true Israel, put that side by side and compare it with what you may have been taught in the American church. And what's been taught in the American church is recent. It's only within the last 200 years that they have abandoned the idea that Christ is the true Israel. It is. There's a promise for Israel and there's a promise for the church. That's what, that's what we're taught mostly in American churches today. The scriptures are quite clear. One promise, and it's to Jesus. Jesus is the promise of God. Jesus is the true Israel. And all who are incorporated in him. So it's only been since, what, about 1890 maybe? Maybe earlier than that. But just in the last couple hundred years, that's what's been taught now, is that there's one promise for Israel and one promise for the church. I think in order to say that, you have to deny a lot of the Scripture. So I would ask you, as you read and you study your Old Testament prophets, 
and you study the book of Revelation, in light of the fact that Jesus is true Israel, ask yourself, is this teaching that has prevailed in the church, is it really accurate? Is it really right? Is it really correct? Just ask yourself that. And I'm sure that I'll get some debate from y'all, and I'm ready to, to do that. Um, but anyway, so there we are, verse 1. Now, let us move forward to verse 2, and we'll read through verse 8. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes, that it may, be, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit by itself. Unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Nine times, at least, and maybe more, in this passage, the Greek word meneo is used, and it's translated abide or abides. Abide means to stay in a given place, in a given state, or a given relationship, or a given expectancy. Further, abide means to continue, to dwell, to remain, to be present with, to endure, to stand, to hold on to. And this meaning of this word abide that really gripped me the most this week is it means to be held by. You see, when we say abide in Christ, it is to be held by Him. Be held by Him. Yet there's the responsibility for us to abide in Him and, and hold on to Him. But here's the thing. You and I, do we fail to abide in Christ? Do we fail constantly to hold on to him? The good news is, is that Christ holds on to you always. He abides. He remains. He stays present. He holds on to you. But if you want to bear good fruit, you will hold on to him. You see? Nine times it says this. Notice verse 2. That if you be in Christ, you will bear the fruit of Christ in your life. And if you don't, it might prove that you don't belong to the vine at all. And if you don't belong, Jesus says here that the vine dresser will remove you from the vine. If you don't belong. But if you do belong, if you do belong, that which does not produce the fruit of your salvation will be cut away, but for your good that you might increase. I know many brothers and sisters in Christ who are, when they're faced with opposition, when they're overwhelmed by trials, when uh, things just are not going well, a lot of brothers and sisters come to me and they say that they are under an enemy attack. I think sometimes that they are. Could it be that God has caused these things in your life to train you in righteousness and to prune away that which is lacking, to get rid of that which doesn't belong to the vine, that which isn't fruitful, to train you in righteousness, 
The writer of Hebrews says in chapter 12, in your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your own blood. And you have forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and you're not sons. Besides this, we've had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. For this moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, listen to this, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. See, Christ resisted sin up to the point of death, even death on a cross, perfectly bearing the fruit for Israel. Me? You? Christ bared the fruit for Israel by dying and living a perfect life, perfectly bearing the fruit that you and I failed to produce. The Hebrews writer says that if you are in the vine, you will be disciplined by the vine dresser such that the fruit of Christ will become manifest in your life. You will be pruned until you are conformed into the image of his son. He reminds the disciples in verse 3 of chapter 15, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. It's reminiscent of 13.10, isn't it? When he was washing the feet and he said, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. Be confident, Jesus says to the disciples. You have received my word by faith. You have been drawn to the vine by the Father and I have taken hold of you. Salvation is mine to give and you are mine to keep. I will not fail to hold you even to the end of the age. You will prove to be the one who belongs to the vine if you hang on to me. I am hanging on to you, but you will prove that you are one of mine if you hang on to me. I will hold you to the end of the age. But Jesus here reminds him, don't let go of me. Don't withdraw or resist. Don't let the discipline of the Lord discourage you. Let that encourage you that you actually belong to the vine and the fruit of your salvation is being produced in you by what God is doing in your life. The pruning, the cutting away, the discipline. Don't withdraw or resist. Abide in me. Hold on to me. Apart from me, you can only bear the unfruitful life of the residual sin that's left in you. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You know that the natural man tries to get as close to the line of sin as he can without crossing it. I remember I used to speak to, to kids in, 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 uh, in jail in, in uh, Yamhill County, and they had these, had these red lines that were painted on the floor. 
Well, these red lines were lines there that were painted there uh, for the purpose of these young people could not go across those lines. They could never cross them. They had to stay behind those lines anytime they were in a room with adults. They had to stay behind these lines. They had these painted lines. And I, I saw the kids and the things that they would do to push up against the guards and to push up against everyone. They were like as close as they could, you know. And in fact, sometimes they would straddle it to see if they could be on both sides of it, right? Isn't that us sometimes in our Christian walk is we want to straddle the line. We want to get as close to it as we can without crossing it, without sinning it. And Jesus says, rather than that, get as close to me as you can. Remain in me and you will produce the fruit that is in keeping with your confession of faith and is in keeping with repentance. In me, you will produce a life that is pleasing to the vine dresser, our Father. But apart from me, you produce nothing. So here, my friends, is the conclusion of the matter. This is the ultimate conclusion of the matter. I want us to get this. And you know, every time I stand here to preach, and every time I study God's Word, and Every time I, I get up and I want to proclaim it to you, what my desire is that I would make much of Jesus. I want to make much of him to you. I want to make much of him. And I want you this morning to think much of him. So here's the conclusion of the matter. Christ alone glorifies the Father. Christ alone bears the fruit of righteousness and justice. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. God, the righteous creator and judge, sent his son to glorify him through obedience, bearing the fruit of his love. Jesus remained present with the Father always and continued steadfastly in his will. But see, this is the expectation that the Father had for Israel, wasn't it? I have made them a precious vine. My expectation is that they would remain steadfastly in me and live according to my will. This is the expectation. When, I, when God puts his love upon a people, his expectation is that they would uh, remain in him and that they would bear the fruit of that love in the world, doing his justice, displaying his character in their lives, his holiness. That was the expectation that the Father had for Israel. That is the expectation that the Father has for you and that he has for me. If you have been drawn to the Father, you must abide in Jesus. If you are concerned with pleasing God and glorifying him uh, on earth and for eternity, the answer is abide in Jesus. If you desire to experience the love of God, abide in Jesus. If you desire to keep the commands of God, guess what I'm going to say? Abide in Jesus. If, like Jesus, you desire to have the joy of your salvation overflow to the world, abide in Jesus. If you are here this morning and you are not in Christ, your best efforts 
will prove to leave you fruitless, withered, decaying, and dead. And when the Lord returns to gather his people, you will be gathered up and thrown into the fire of hell and burned for eternity. Because the only, the only acceptable fruit, the only acceptable vine, the only one who's producing or has ever produced what God fully wants is Jesus Christ. And those who will not be discarded, who will not be thrown into the fire, who will not be thrown into hell, are those who have hung on to Him, who have trusted in His righteousness, who have trusted in His fruit, who have started to bear the fruit of their salvation in Him. And we could be like Israel and you start to bear good fruit in Christ and take all the credit for yourself. Notice what he says in Isaiah to those who took the credit for themselves. Their, they, their heart is wrong. Their heart is wrong. It is only in the vine that we produce anything of any good uh, pleasing to the Father. Even as you sit here today, if you are not in Christ, you are being drawn by the Father. If you will turn from the unfruitful life of sin and trust in the true vine who died for sin that he did not commit, if you will abide and hide your life in Jesus Christ, if you will believe the word of the Lord this morning, if you will confess with your mouth that God raised him from the dead, if you abide in Christ, he will hold on to you for eternity. If you hold on to Christ, you confess Christ with your mouth, you believe that he was raised from the dead and you confess that out loud, Christ Jesus will hold on to you for eternity. And how do you know that is true in your life? Because I'm holding on to him too. The proof that he's holding on to you is that you're desperately grasping to hang on to him. That anything that separates you from the presence of Christ you want out of your life. That you long to be near Him. You want to be as close to Him as you can. If you abide in Christ, He will hold you for eternity. And here's confidence. You will bear the fruit of righteousness. If you hold on to Christ, you will bear the fruit that is in keeping with salvation. You will. You will do it. I love the confidence of that, brothers and sisters, let me tell you. Because I know that if I try to strive and I do anything in my own efforts, sometimes it's fruitful, sometimes it isn't. More often than not, it isn't. But the truth is, is that Christ is holding on to me and I will bear fruit that is pleasing to God because I'm in Him and I'm hanging on to Him and He's hanging on to me. That's good news, brothers and sisters, that we too will bear the fruit of the righteousness of God. Is that your aim? Is that what you're clinging to? Is that your desire? As we look at this passage at the end of, of the verses that we looked at this morning, one of the fruits that we receive, one of the things that we receive from having abided in Christ is we receive His love. We know the love of God as we abide in Jesus. And then it says, joy. 
We have love and joy if we abide in Christ. That's the tangible fruit. And then when we back up and we look at verse 8, it says, By this the Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, that you bear the fruit of your salvation. I'm going to close with this thought that just sort of came back to my memory. As Heather and I have raised four children and are going on number five, and we start, and I think about, you know, what is it that you want your children to do and be in the world? Well, you know, sometimes people have talked to me about, well, they've got the right education, they're getting the right job, they're doing these things. And to me and to Heather, we've talked about this a couple of times. Do they bear the fruit of love, joy, peace, kindness, gentleness, and self-control? If my children are bearing those fruits in their life, the fruit of Jesus Christ, we did well. We did our job. It's not about what they earn, what kind of education they get, how smart they are. But do they have love, joy, peace, gentleness, kindness, and self-control? Is that what exemplifies their life? Is that what the world around them would say about them? That's what I want to hear. When somebody says, oh, I've met your sons and I, I've met your daughters. These are loving people. They're full of love and joy and peace and kindness and they're gentle. And they're not out of control. They're able to control themselves. That's the fruit of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. That is being hidden in the vine, I believe. And for that, <laughs> I'm grateful. So what I'm saying, all of that to say this, is church, could we be known, Spring Hill Church, as those who abide in the vine? And they say, what do we know about Jesse Wildman? Well, he's full of love, joy, peace, kindness, gentleness, self-control. He's bearing the fruit of the Spirit. You can tell he's been hanging on to Jesus, right? If that's said about us, brothers and sisters, we, have, we, are, we are on the right track. We're on the right track if that's what the world sees in us. And so... I want to encourage you with this. You can't do it. You can't do it. You can't do it. Not by yourself. Not in your own strength. Not in your own power. Not in your own flesh. So let that be an encouragement to you to do one thing. And what is it? Abide in Jesus. Hang on to Him. Hang on to Him and you will produce the fruit of righteousness. Let us take a moment of silence to reflect on God's word, and then we will pray together. Well, Father, we do thank you for your word, and we are dependent, Lord, on the power of your spirit and your grace 
and your mercy and kindness toward us. We are dependent upon Jesus Christ. And pray, Lord, that you would hide our lives in him and that we would hide ourselves in him, that we would place our trust fully in him. Help us have confidence that we will bear those good fruits if we just trust in him, Lord. We need your help. We need the encouragement of your Holy Spirit. We need the prompting of your spirit to continue in those things, Lord. But we trust that no matter how far we go and how much we let go, that you are always hanging on to us, Lord. Lord, see us in the vine. Prune us where needed. Cut out the things that don't belong. Get the dead fruit out of our lives, Lord, that we might produce good fruit, fruit that is pleasing to you, Lord, the fruit of Jesus Christ in our lives. We ask this in your holy name. Amen.